Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. What Winning Gold does is validate it for people externally there's so many people who've played netball and been part of that England journey or they've been coaches or umpires or technical officials and they've all been part of it and they don't have a physical gold medal to take home or their names aren't written in the record books but they've still been there contributed and done that and don't necessarily get the recognition for it And there'll be athletes in all sports who have gone through their careers and never won a gold, silver or bronze medal. They've still gone through what they've gone through. They've still learned what they have experienced, met people. And so the journey is more important, I think, than the medal. The medal just is that little star at the top of the Christmas tree. Hello and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This podcast has a simple mission, to have discussions that reveal something important about life and how best to live it. My guests range from the biggest sporting names on the planet through to neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists and world-renowned thinkers. We talk about things like how to skillfully relate to uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, the power of acceptance and psychological flexibility, how to get your circadian rhythms in sync to feel your best, right through to the nature of reality. These conversations and the bite-sized episodes have the power to change your life. There's a lot to be said for truly empathetic leadership where caring for and taking an interest in the individual comes first. Not only does this create an environment in which people can really flourish, it makes winning and success more likely. And my guest this week, Amma Agbezi, undoubtedly proved that to be the case when she led England to their greatest netball triumph, a historic Commonwealth Games gold medal in 2018. The Commonwealth is the pinnacle competition in netball because currently the sport is not part of the Summer Olympics. And Team England's victory in 2018 was their first gold medal in the competition and was the undoubted all-time highlight for the sport in this country. 
How did she do it? Well, we talk about the importance of valuing individuals within a team setup. And Emma also shares insights such as the impact on her life and mental health when she was unexpectedly dropped from the team the following year. And Emma's emotional intelligence doesn't just shine on court. She does some amazing work off it too, not least in her role as an ambassador for Greenhouse Sports, the charity that uses sport to help disadvantaged young people. It was a pleasure speaking to Emma, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Emma, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Yourself? I'm very good, thank you. Delighted to see you again, even though you forgot who I was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I meet so many people. I didn't. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. I won't here we go. defend here myself. Go. Right. I'm going to start with a bit of a curveball straight from the off, Emma. How would you describe your personality? Wow. Interesting is probably to sum up in a word. I'm, I think to people I know or people in my circle, I'm loud, bubbly can be outspoken um but actually I'm an introvert I'm really shy um I'm happy to keep myself to myself and if you put me in a room with people I'd happily stand in the corner not speak to anybody and just observe interesting so to summarize shy but outspoken (laughs) in certain circumstances okay you are tremendously empathetic too though now I've done my research for and I'm going to give a few examples to back up that assertion when you captained England I've heard you talk about how you wanted everyone to really feel valued how you wanted to understand each person in the team in the side in the squad and really get their unique traits understand whether they were more of a carrot or a stick type and really create a, a sense of cohesion. That's a, an accurate description of your your approach from the empathy point of view as captain, is it? Yeah, definitely. I think I just understand that a team or a group of people is made up of individuals. And if you value people, they they appreciate it and they respond really well. So in performance, if you want a good performance from people, understand those people, value them, nurture what it is to be them and they will join forces and come along with the overall aim of the group but it wasn't just a means to an end though to win though I get the sense that that sort of empathetic side is true to who you are yeah it definitely is and I think a lot of people do things to tick boxes I think in this day and age we're very good at saying oh we need to do that but it's only because we want to look good um but I think I genuinely I guess believed in understanding individuals and helping them to get to where they wanted to be and so obviously we had a collective aim that we wanted to achieve but actually those people are still people and whether they're there at the end of us achieving or not achieving what it was we wanted to do I hope that they I guess are nurtured in their own personal lives to do what it is that they want to do or go forward in whatever things they end up doing irrespective of the team and the team's end goal and I've heard you give a lovely tip it's just still on the same empathetic line of questioning where you've spoken about giving sincere compliments so for example you see someone with a nice pair of trainers or I don't know piece of clothing that you admire and the natural propensity certainly for us Brits would be to think it but not say it 
But you're all for saying it because it's, it's easy to say, but it can have a big impact. It can. You can shift someone's day or thinking you don't know what. I think the biggest thing is you don't know what people are going through. And so in that moment, if you even just speaking to people, I think we're very used as Brits to not speaking to people. And I always find if I've been to New Zealand, I'll be smiling at people on the street and just saying hi as I walk past people. And I get back to the UK and I keep doing it. And then I'm wondering, like, why are people not smiling back? Or people in London, especially people are sort of like a bit apprehensive about why are you are you engaging with me? But actually, I think it has such a massive impact just to, and I'm not, I'm being quite shy, I'm not necessarily someone I don't, I want to keep my head down and look at the ground when I'm walking because I just want to stay in my own zone and I don't want to interrupt people. But actually, I understand like if people say, oh my gosh, I like your hair to me. It's almost like, oh my gosh, they like my hair. They're acknowledging me and I get a little buzz out of it. And so actually, I think rather than just thinking things, just be open to saying things and you don't know how that's going to impact upon someone's day or even their life. How long have you been aware of this and putting it into practice? Probably not very long. Maybe only, I want to say maybe the last six to eight years. But I think in that period, I've sort of maybe come of age is probably an OTT way to say it. But I think I've started understanding it was probably more, probably just before I became the England captain, just aware of the implications of being a human in the world and also Mm. interacting with other people and how what I do or what the individual can do can impact other people. And so... Yeah, I think it's probably more from a learning and understanding of myself, um, which then led on to how I can impact those people around me. That does speak volumes. And obviously, with the work you do with Greenhouse Sports, you recognise, for example, the capacity that sport has to impact people's lives, to give young people a chance of success, to give young people a chance to lift themselves up. Do you tell this tip with the people you come across in, in Greenhouse? Have you done? No, it's, I think I think it's, sometimes it might seem a bit weird. And I think with the, maybe with the staff or the coaches, but I think with the young people, it might be a bit too much for them to take on. So a lot of them are in difficult places in their lives and I want to make it all about them. And so I don't think you should try and put the responsibility of others on top of what they're already going through. But sport is such a great leveller and you can be the richest person in the world. You can have an amazing car, shoes, everything. And actually, when you get on the sports field, it's completely irrelevant. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing to try and impart on um, the people who access greenhouse services, that they are in an incredible position, just like everybody else and so I think what's great about Greenhouse is that it teaches those young people that and it gives them facilities and access to services which can help them build themselves up personally and irrespective of whether they want to be an elite sports person or a coach those skills just transfer wonderfully into life and I think it's probably the biggest thing for me I think is the confidence because if you look and I think in this day and age we compare ourselves all the time to other people so with social media and so the young people who access greenhouse facilities will be looking at other people saying well they've got this and they've got that and not really understanding that actually a lot of the skills that they need 
they actually have and they just need to be developed. And so Greenhouse is great, I think, at doing that. So this empathetic golden thread that I've noticed running through your story, do you think that's why you were drawn to Greenhouse Sports or can you pinpoint what made you want to collaborate with them and make this such a nice union? Yeah, I think to a certain extent it was um, that empathy. But then also I think at the time when I did collaborate with Greenhouse and join Greenhouse, I was based in London and I guess I'm not necessarily from an affluent background myself and there's a lot of people who are worse off than me. And so I think what they were doing in the space of disadvantaged young people in some of the lowest in terms of economically developed wards in London, it sort of definitely resonated with me. But then also I think the fact that, as you say, that thread of empathy and then also sport being a great leveller, it's almost perfect to illustrate that it doesn't matter where you're from or who you currently are, you can get yourself to a certain level in life just by understanding yourself and then some key skills which sport teaches you, but they're great. And I think um, a lot of C-suite personnel, there's evidence to show that they've been um, competitive sports people. And I think it's the skills that they've learned in the sports field that they're then utilising within their companies in order to lead them. So I think Greenhouse ties in with everything that I believe in, in terms of giving everybody a step up in life to get to where they want to be. It's a perfect fit, isn't it? It I mean, is. It really... it's <laughs> the whole fit like a glove. <laughs> it um, is. Now, listen, that that empathy we, we've spoken about certainly was of huge value when you capped in England to its highest moment in its netballing history, winning gold in the Commonwealths. And we will come to that. But first, we, we are talking, amongst other things, about mentors. The difference, for example, that supportive coaches, teachers, older people, older brothers, older sisters can make. So let's discuss a couple of yours. We should probably start with your family because an interesting fact about you, you've already mentioned uh, New Zealand and just to explain that, so you split your time and and you're still sort of deciding whether to live (laughs) here or there. Your husband's a Kiwi, but you're also a qualified lawyer. And part of that came down to the fact that your your parents put a certain emphasis on academia. Yeah, so my parents are from Nigeria and came to the UK many moons ago. Um, and they came and they wanted opportunity. So they worked hard. They came with nothing. And I think they wanted to give their family an opportunity. And so they saw that as through academia. So ensuring you got a good education so you could then go and get a good job and so they were constantly encouraging us to study 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 so netball or sport not just netball when I was younger I did a lot of sports sport was just a hobby that you did on the side and so I had to make sure that I kept up with my education in order to be able to go off and every day after school say I'm going to this 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 is this but don't worry I'll do my homework um (laughs) and so I guess that's been a good thing and so yeah I'm a qualified lawyer now and I've practiced in the UK Australia and New Zealand but I guess that's been an underlying thread between myself and my siblings that we have to, I guess, work hard. I think that's probably the biggest thing around what my parents sort of instilled. If you work hard, you hopefully can achieve anything. Reap the rewards. Does the phrase, are you going to get a proper job now, mean much to you? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm still looking for that proper job. So if anyone wants to share ideas around what I should do. Um, although it's funny, my mum, so my mum constantly, so I finished my degree, I did a master's in finance and really loved finance, thought I'd go and work in it. And then 2008 graduated um, from the master's and the global financial crisis happened. So financial companies were falling on their feet. Um, my sister actually worked for Lehman Brothers and lost her job. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a field to go no. into. Um, and then I got an opportunity to go and play pre- professional netball in Australia. And so I went and did that and then thought, I'll just do a year. The um, economy will recover and I'll come back and get a proper job, as my mum said. And then I played, so I played in Perth. And then the following year, I played in Melbourne. And then the following year, I went to New Zealand and played in Wellington. And then I went back to Perth. And so it just sort of flowed on that I was doing netball um, and so every year my mom would say when are you going to get a proper job and actually I've still I guess I've dabbled in so as I've gone along with my um net professional netball my side hustle has been law and my mom would continuously ask me when I was going to settle down and get a proper job and actually this year she said to me I've realized that you're not really a type of person who settles down so <laughs> I'm like finally how many years has it taken so interesting but I guess one day I might have to settle down, but still looking for the proper job. Yeah, look, it's worked out all right for you thus far. I wouldn't hurry. And interesting <laughs> that potentially, but for the global crash, England might not have won Commonwealth gold of the netball. <laughs> I've never seen it that way. That's an interesting I'm glad that you're trying to pin it all onto me. It, it was a team thing. I obviously you played a part. But... You were captain. <laughs> um, right, let's move on then from your parents because there are a couple of other, there are a few other names that I've come across in your story that I know had a big influence on you, your belief, you know, your your course, which just emphasizes, you know, what a difference we can make in other people's lives. So why don't we start back at primary school with Mrs. Watkins? Yeah, so Mrs. Watkins was my school teacher at primary school. She did um, she did sport, but obviously also taught a form because in those days there was no specific sports teacher. Um, and I think she just, we did, it wasn't just netball. I was good at all sports and did all sports. Um, but she probably introduced me to netball. So I think ahead of time, because at that stage you had to be in a certain year group to play in the school team. And I played beforehand. Um, so she definitely was a catalyst in terms of helping me get into netball and I wanted to be like my sisters. I've got two older sisters. They played netball. And so Mrs. Watkins helped to steer me in the right direction. And um, I think she took me to uh, sort of county school trials, which were sort of under, I think about under 11. So she was definitely the first influence in my netball career part. So she had a big impact. And I suppose someone like that, I suppose that's the reason you get into working in a primary school. But, you know, you probably don't really realise the impact you have many years down the line. She was, I don't know if, if you're still in touch with her or not, but I, you know, she probably sat at home now unaware, that, wondering why her ears are burning. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's funny because I I guess, you do, as you say, you just go about your business and she became a teacher probably because she loved teaching and she loved sport and young people. And a while ago, someone contacted me on Instagram and it was her daughter. And so her daughter was asking me for advice um, around, ah. I guess, her netball career and also just her general, she was going into university. Um, and then she, I sort of replied and things. And then she said, oh, my mum's Mrs. Watkins. And I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't you say before? Um, and so since then, we've sort of made contact and Mrs. Watkins isn't at the school anymore. And I keep saying we're going to catch up and I'm hoping we will catch up. So it's nice that I've, I guess 
reconnected with her and we've spoken and now I think she knows that she definitely influenced me. That's a lovely story. And I, I think it's nice that she didn't tell her that, tell you that she was her daughter till after you'd already helped her, which I think, again, speaks volumes. Right, moving on, Miss Bexton. Oh, Miss Bexton. So Miss Bexton was at my secondary school and she was the sports teacher, Judith Bexton. And she definitely helped me as well. It's funny because my sister was at the same school and I feel like my sister and Miss Bexton didn't really get on, but we did. And I think it just shows that I think sometimes people judge. So if you don't like my partner, you decide that you don't like me when actually you might like me. So actually give me a go. Um, But she was definitely influential in my sporting development and my netball career. And I've since been in touch with her and she's moved to France. She skis a lot. Um, (laughs) So she doesn't teach anymore, but she is still, I think she also knows. And we try to meet up, but because she's obviously off enjoying herself. I've not had the opportunity, but I also would like to do that. And I think last year I went back to my secondary school for the first time since I'd left. And Miss Hawksworth was the other teacher with Miss Bexham. And she's still there. So we caught up and it was, yeah, it was just so surreal, but incredible. But she's still there, obviously influencing young people in their paths. And I think at school, people, you either like PE or you don't like PE. And Mm. I would hope that eventually the rhetoric would change because we need sport for life. We need to move from the time when we're born to the time that we die. And so... I hope that people start to see sport as not just, I don't like PE, I'm not very good at it. They change that mindset to actually, it's just something to learn how to keep active. Um, but yeah, speaking to Miss Hawksworth, she she still looked the same age as well, which is strange because <laughs> it's been years. Um, but she, it was, yeah, just really nice to catch up with her and see how she developed and how school had changed. Yes. Well, look, so you have this and have always had this firm base with academia and obviously being... Uh, really excelling at sports so that set you up nicely for your long and at times somewhat I don't want to use the word turbulent but uh up and downy yes. <laughs> England career so you made your debut back in in 2001 and obviously it took a long time to reach the sort of the top of the pile as it were but am I right in saying that right from that early time you did believe that England could reach the top of the pile, but not everyone else shared that belief. Yeah, I think, I don't know why, but for some reason, it might even still be now. My husband says that I'm quite naive and it might be because I'm naive, but I sort of think surely if we apply ourselves and we stick to a game plan and we do what we should do, anybody can do anything. And so I think I always thought we can win. I don't know whether, I think when I was younger, I guess I was naturally gifted. and so. I sort of got into teams. It wasn't until I got to sort of the adult group that I started to wane a little bit. Until I got to England on 21s, I'd sort of been scouted or asked to move up in, in age groups. And so I think, I guess I had a belief in myself and so didn't necessarily appreciate that other people had different ideas or understandings or belief. And so I think at the under 21, so the World Youth Cup, we came forth and afterwards, I realised that some people actually didn't think we were going to come anywhere, but outside of the medals. Um, And that was a massive slap in the face to me, basically, that people would go into something not really believing that they could achieve. Um, So I think that definitely played out when I became the captain in terms of trying to instil this 
self-belief and understanding that you're not going to get anywhere if you're doing something as a team if there's a few people in the team who don't think you're going to do it then you won't do it because you're relying on everybody and everybody plays their part whether it's the people on court off court the people who didn't get selected you need everyone on board and so I think I learned that lesson when I was 17 at the under 21 yeah. World Cup. and this this belief then of what is possible or indeed more of a limiting belief sometimes of what isn't possible which people are more familiar with what message do you have then around that I 100% do believe that anything is possible the problem is our mind and your mind is an incredibly strong thing but you can turn it two ways so you can either have it channeled in the path of I'm going to do this or there's little voices that creep in that say who are you kidding what are you doing get back in your lane and I think a lot of not just young people a lot of people think in terms of sport you're either good at sport sport or you're not good at sport and then you can be a professional sports person and that's it within sport but actually there's so many areas of sport be it performance nutrition training being a coach media analysis there's managers HR there's a plethora of roles in sport and so I think it's making sure that people understand that that's the case you don't need to be incredible at sport to be involved in sport and Mm. in the same way just instilling confidence that you can be in the business world and you can still use and channel what you've learned through sport into that here here well said yeah there are all those jobs I'm speaking as someone who never was going to make it on the pitch but wanted to do something in other ways and have managed to do that but like you say even just the lessons you learn can be taken and applied in whatever you want to do. But coming back to that sort of belief element and you feeling it from, you know, an early point in your career of, of what was possible, but then not everyone else feeling the same. And then you did though get there. So 17 years later, cause we've already spoken about 2001. So 17 years later, let's fast forward 17 years. <laughs> uh, we'll just skip over the interim. So 2018, First of all, we've got to explain. So the Commonwealth Games to netball, I mean, it's like the Olympics, right? Yeah, so netball isn't in the Olympics. The Commonwealth Games is the only multi-sport event that netball is in. And netball is predominantly played by Commonwealth countries. So the top, um, at the Commonwealth Games in 2018, the top 12 teams in the world attended the Commonwealth Games. So it's essentially the World Cup or the equivalent of the Olympics. And you were skipper, you were captain, you had the captain's uh, armband. Now, up until that point, Australia and New Zealand, I believe, had been in every single Commonwealth final. So it was the first time that anyone but one of those two countries had, had made it through. Now, you've mentioned that early in your career, you went over to Australia. I think you mentioned, I'm not sure if you played in New Zealand at that time, but certainly, you know, you spent a lot of time playing in these countries, uh, as did a lot of your teammates who were part of the side that won in 2018. Did um, having an experience of the leagues over there, which are more professional and there's more money, all those kind of things, but just experiencing that and seeing, okay, hang on, okay, we can be as good as these people. How much of it, was that a big factor? It definitely was. And I think there's lots of people, especially in Australia and New Zealand, who say we shouldn't have let the English into our leagues because they beat us because we helped them. Um, but I think it's important to note that you only get to play in those leagues if you are the best because Australia are very, 
I don't know how to say it, but they basically want to nurture their own. And so if there's someone who is on par with you and you're foreign, they'll choose the homegrown player because they're just loyal to themselves. So if you want to get to play in those leagues, you have to be better than the local talent that they have available. And so I think they forget that. It's almost like they think, oh, we just gave you a little leg up and then you went and beat us internationally. But the players who play over there have to be the best. And so I think they were already really good, but it did help to open their eyes in terms of what a daily training environment can be in terms of if you're just professional and it's just your sole focus. But then also, I think the biggest thing for me was taking the Australians specifically, but also the New Zealand off a pedestal. Mm. So I remember when I got my first caps and we'd do analysis and look at the players in Australia and think, oh my gosh, touch chocolate. She's just a legend. She's incredible. I don't know if I can even step on the court because she's playing. Mm. And I think playing over there demystifies the players. So actually you realise they're just like me. They just train, they work hard. And now I'm amongst them and playing with them and they need me in their domestic team. And I think all those players then brought that back internationally. Um, And so it basically changed from a them and us to actually we can be on par with them. We just need to tweak a a few things and we can compete with the best of them. Because at the end of the day, everyone has a bit of imposter syndrome and it's good to, like you say, knock people off pedestals or or realise that actually we're all on the level. So just again, to turn this to, for example disadvantaged young people who perhaps let's say think certain jobs or careers let's say oh you know I'm not good enough for that or whatever I mean they could take a a lesson from your approach there it's like the the metaphoric I've forgotten the name of the netball legend you mentioned but the, that metaphoric person in terms of the a career or something like that and realizing no you could do it yeah definitely and I think what's What's difficult is sort of we have these conversations or people will listen to this and think, oh, yeah, well, it's all well and good just saying that. And it isn't easy. So you can think, well, I can be that CEO of that company. Why shouldn't I? And it's difficult to get from this point here to being the CEO. So you have to constantly be in the mindset of what do I need to do? How do I achieve that? And day to day, there will be those gremlins that creep in your head and say, oh, don't be stupid you're from this place and no one from that place has ever done that. So it is a constant challenge. But I think, as you say, that metaphor just stands in life generally to show that you can do do anything. You just have to understand how to get there, apply yourself. And everybody obviously can't get to everywhere. Everybody can't be the CEO of global, profitable, amazing company. But if you want to get there and you work hard enough, you can and it's about the journey anyway, without being too cliche. But just <laughs> you've mentioned that voice in the head. Like we've all got that voice in the head that says you're not good enough or give up now. What are you doing? Get back in your lane, all those kind of things. But I think one of the best skills you can learn is to realize that just because it's a thought popping through your head doesn't mean you have to take it seriously. Have you got a thought on that? No, I'm not taking it seriously. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, I <laughs> Actually, I think the one thought on that is like mentors and guides, because I, even with netball, I think people think that you just become this amazing sports person. And then once you become an amazing sports person, you're just on top of the world and you think you work on gold and everything's smooth running. But every day there's difficulties um, in training, in recovery. Um, And so you're constantly fighting with yourself, say with that 
thought in your mind saying, oh, you're not good enough. Why do you think you should be here? Who made you the captain? They made a mistake. Why are you, what do you think you're doing? And so I think actually it's for me, and even more so, I think, as my career's gone on, it's been important to have people who I can call upon, who can help support me and make maybe change my mind. So if my mind isn't strong enough to shut out those voices of doubt, I can then reach out to someone. So currently my husband's the person who typically will be saying, oh my gosh, you're so good. You don't understand how amazing you are. Um, and I do have a few mentors who are constantly sort of telling me, well, actually you've done this and no one else has done that. So that stands you in good stead and people will want to listen to that. And I think it's very easy, especially, well, not just for me, but it's easy for me to sort of just think I associate with sports people and have got to a level. And I think as a sports person at elite level, you're constantly working on things that are not good enough. So you're being told you need to be better at this. You're not good at this. And actually it makes you think that you're not very good, but in the grand scheme of things, you actually are in the top percentile of people. You're just trying to be better and hone those skills. But to constantly be told that you're not good enough makes you think, I don't even know why I'm playing netball because I clearly can't play netball. Whereas actually you can play, you're so good that it's just the tiny things that you're trying to, trying to tweak. And mm. so I think having someone to remind you that you are okay and you are good and you're doing the right thing, you're on the right path, you've got a plan drawing you back in towards the plan that you have is really important if you can't always find that drive internally. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss right let's go back so we're in the semi-final six goals down to jamaica crikey o'reilly oh i can feel (laughs) i don't think i've got the energy for this (laughs) so a lesson that sprung out at me from this semi-final where you're six down to Jamaica was that it's not something you would have chosen. You wouldn't have started the game and go, right, here's the plan. Let's go eight, six behind. However, it ended up being a blessing, didn't it? Because you trailed in the final as well. So just I thought there was something in here about, okay, we all have to face adversity. We all have to go through difficult things. And at the time, again, that voice in the head will be going, oh, this shouldn't be happening. I can't, oh my, how have we got ourselves in this pickle? Well, that pickle might end up being exactly what you need. And it was on that occasion. Exactly. So lessons learned and experience. And my mum always says everything happens for a reason. 
And so you might have broken your leg and be unable to play in something, but actually maybe the development that you have building back up. And so the same happens in life. So you might apply for a job, you don't get selected, you get feedback and understand why. And then that stands you in better stead next time you go for a job or in something different. And so I do think that being down in the semi-final definitely helped us I think with that belief again so sometimes if you haven't been through something you don't necessarily understand that it's possible and so to come back from six down and actually make the final I think I've got goosebumps um I think it was just it was just incredible and I think yeah it was it was life-changing and I think at the time you don't think it's life-changing you just think we're in this position how can we get back and in games beforehand, we'd built up in training, we'd practised what to do. And it's very different in practice to actually doing it in real life. But if you've gone through those things and tried to understand and you've sort of run through your mind in terms of the emotions that you might experience, it's a kind of, well, I guess it's preparation um, for the real thing. But nothing can nothing can prepare you for being in the situation for real. But if you've gone through it ahead of time, you might almost have the realisation of, oh my gosh, yeah, we practised this. Oh, I know what to do. Um, So it almost comes a little bit as second nature as opposed to a shock of, oh my gosh, we're six down. We should not be in this position. We need to get to the final. So I'm just, I can't speak. I'm just like, I'm stressed from the (laughs) going through like, oh my gosh, we're six down. But yeah, I think it's just, it helped us moving forward to the following day for the final. It certainly did because you were trailing again in the final against Australia they were obviously the favourites, and yet you come through 52-51 in the most dramatic fashion possible. Just quickly, after the nearly two decades at that point of your career, to actually scale the mountain, you've had the goosebumps and the dist- distraught of having to relive the sick being six down. Just that moment where it was like, oh my Lord, we've won and I'm captain. Just quickly, can you bring that back? I still don't actually think I've had that moment. I think I, my parents have always taught us to be grateful and not, it's not about you. Um, or that actually my family, my sisters are always like, oh yeah, whatever. So if I, I, I stopped telling my family things. Um, so I did, my sister actually messaged on the family group and said, oh, you're going to the Commonwealth Games? Are you the captain? And I was like, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot to say. Um, but it's because in the build-up, I'd say, oh, I'm going on tour to Jamaica. And they'd be like, oh yeah, big wow. And so I kind of feel like they always just kept you like, you're not that important. And so it still hasn't fully sunk in. And I think I do a lot of talks or things. And sometimes I find myself thinking, why am I here? And then I think, oh, because we won the medal and they'll play the last few seconds of the game. And I'm watching thinking, oh my God, please say we won. But I think at the time, I just disbelief, I think is. So I didn't even think about me being the captain. I just thought, I actually can't believe it. Yeah, I feel like my blood is rushing out of my body right now. But (laughs) just the... At the time, I think at the time, you're just so in the moment celebrating the fact that you won the game. So it's, I think it's taken time to understand that, oh my gosh, we won the game, which meant that we won the Commonwealth Games. And it's just so, England have talked about it for years. I remember when I was in the, I first got into England on the 17s in, I think, 1995 or 1998. And they were talking about winning a Commonwealth Games and a World Cup medal. And it almost kind of got to the point of, are we just talking about it? When are we actually going to do something? And it's not, obviously, it's not as simple as saying we're going to win and then we win. 
um, it took a long time and a lot of people and people who'd played and retired and didn't get to achieve it, but they probably deservedly did with the amount of effort and work that they put in. And so, yeah, it still, it still surprises me that we won. And yeah, <laughs> I, don't, it, I, I don't know what to say. I'm still in shock. And actually, I remember the first interview that I did um, going into the media zone to, at the Commonwealth Games. There's an area that all athletes have to walk through where the media line up and it was literally like the longest line of media. And the first interview I did was with an Australian publication. And I was very English and apologetic saying, oh my gosh, yeah, we won right now. It's incredible, but the World Cup's next year. And so we might not win that. So we've got to go away and do some more work. And I was almost apologising for winning. And I think it was because it was on Australian soil. They had earmarked the netball medal as one of the medals that they were guaranteed to win because the Australian team was so dominant and they were at home. And so, yeah, I just remember almost apologising for the fact that we'd won. It was I love it. That's so English. That's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Apologising for winning. It just reminds me of, you know, whenever two people bash into each other when they're walking down the street, you can be sure that both of them will (laughs) apologise. So you mentioned about your family, you know, really teaching you to be grateful and keep your feet on the floor and all that kind of thing. So looking back then, let's say from 2018 where you've won gold and all the years that have gone on, what was more important? And I'm going to use that cliched word again. Was it winning gold or was it the journey, you know, in terms of the connections you made, the lessons you learned, the experiences you had, that kind of thing? I think what winning gold does is validate it for people externally. And I guess also for you internally. So I mentioned there's so many people who've played netball and been part of that England journey, or they've been coaches or umpires or technical officials, and they've all been part of it. And they don't have a physical gold medal to take home or their names aren't written in the record books, but they've still been there, contributed and done that and don't necessarily get the recognition for it. And so I think what the medal does is give recognition for all the work that you've done and there'll be athletes in all sports who have gone through their careers and never won a gold silver or bronze medal and it doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't exist or that their journey wasn't was invalid they've still gone through what they've gone through they've still learned what they have experienced met people and so the journey is probably more important I think than the medal the medal just is that little star at the top of the Christmas tree. So you've won gold. You're the captain. Netball's had this huge shot in the arm in this country. But then obviously the next year, a bit of a hammer blow for you. is an understatement, actually. Let's, let's, be, <laughs> let's be honest. It's like, how so, big is the hammer? <laughs> <laughs> so you'd been struggling with injury and you were not selected for the World Cup. Um, it was clear that, you didn't agree you know it's a subjective thing and then you decided to commentate on the tournament or you sort of tortured yourself through it (laughs) um and then but you said it really hit you after that and really knocked you for six yeah it did I think I yeah I definitely didn't agree I should have been there playing and it was torture I think going through and commentating the team and just wanting to be part of it and I think I'm still recovering right now 
um, from that. And I think not necessarily just not being picked because for the first time ever, I've been dropped a lot of times and usually I'd be in pieces. My parents or my sisters or my husband would have to pick me up and it would take weeks. And actually it was the first time that I got the call and I was almost just like, I feel like just a wave of peace um, came over me. And my husband was in New Zealand and I called him and said I didn't get picked. And he was like, oh, are you okay? And I was like, I am. And I think some people might think that it was just sort of like a honeymoon period, but actually I never had a honeymoon period with not getting selected because it's meant, it's meant that much. Um, and so, yeah, it was the first time that I thought, okay, I've not been picked. I'm at peace with it. We st- I still want the team to win. So how can I be involved in doing that? And the circumstances that happened meant that I wasn't involved very much. Um, and I think that's probably what wounded me the most. And so I definitely struggle with that. And I think I'm still coming to terms with it and picking up the pieces, pulling my life back in order from there. And it's been a long time. So it wasn't just yesterday or just around the corner. So it's taken a long time. And I guess these are the highs and lows of sport. Yeah. And a lot of that time has been taken up by COVID and stuff as well. I've read that you gave an interview when a journalist sort of asked you how you were and you, you've spoken about being on the one hand quite shy along with obviously being outspoken and also somewhat private and you just found yourself opening up and talking about <laughs> the difficulties that you were having you know you were sort of struggling with some aspects of mental health is that true that you sort of surprised yourself in in opening up yeah definitely and actually I think I remember that interview and I did open up, which I didn't ever think. I'm not very, people around me won't know what's going on. Potentially my husband will, but I'm quite, I was going to say secretive, but just keep private. Keep your cards it's, close to your chest. Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so people who wouldn't have known me for years won't necessarily know a lot about me that I don't choose to share. I think lots of people make assumptions, but they don't necessarily actually know. And so I was really surprised that I opened up. But I do think with... Being in the position that I am, I do have a certain responsibility to try and, I guess, support people or people say you're a role model. So actually make sure that they know that it's not as smooth sailing as, oh my gosh, I'm incredible. I train and then I win this medal and life is hunky-dory. There are definitely tough times and I was going through a tough time then. And I think I finished the interview, was really surprised that I'd shared what I had. That being, let's say, vulnerable or open and you've spoken about your feeling a responsibility and recognizing that someone who's achieved what you have can go through that kind of thing. And so did you learn a lot about being vulnerable, about opening up and about sharing things that perhaps you would be more naturally inclined to keep under wraps? Don't do it. Um, no. <laughs> um, I think it's... Actually, I think from like some other people who reached out, it was actually comforting because I think as soon as I finished the interview, I was kicking myself for A, opening up and B, losing Greenhouse, potentially an opportunity of being the focus. And then people reached out to me and said, oh, thank you for sharing. It helped me feel validated or I was going through that or it was just great. And so I think that definitely helped the people who sort of came back to me. But I still yeah I'm still very hesitant of putting myself out there I think just because previously I've been hurt through things and so it's almost my control and safety mechanism 
to not. Although recently people keep saying, oh, you should just share your story and be more open. And so I say, yeah, 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 I will. I think actually it will be, it will be good for people. And then the next day, those voices in my head say, don't be stupid. Don't do that. But yeah, I sort of toy with the idea of a responsibility to try and help people and me still being my private self. Oh, so, okay. So we're we're sort of on a tightrope in the middle. <laughs> yeah. <I> need... <laughs> so just just sticking with that theme a little bit. How's your mental health now? How are you feeling now? Because obviously we're still in a bit of a crazy old world. Yeah, we are. Um, it's not the best. I think I think just every day I wake up and try and achieve a few things. So I'm working on it, and I think there's, as you say, there's a lot of people who probably might be in the same boat. And I think social media puts on, almost puts on a show. So it gives a perspective and you don't necessarily know what is going on in real, in reality or what's behind that. Um, and so I feel I kind of, I have to, in the roles that I have, I'm kind of presented or in the public eye or out there. And so I have to put on a persona, um, but that's not necessarily what's going on internally or when I'm at home. Um, so yeah, still working on building up some strength and resilience around my mental health, but I guess it's a journey. And like you said, it's about the journey. So I'm on that journey at the moment. And like you say, you know, it's not probably like definitely lots and lots of people can relate to varying degrees to exactly what you're talking about. And I appreciate again, you being open because I think that is the thing about mental health, isn't it? Whenever we feel anxious or stressed or like we're not doing as well as we should we feel like we're the only ones going through it and that's a load of nonsense exactly but I think it's difficult it's sometimes difficult to share and so I think being a private person I don't necessarily open up and then people say oh just talk about it and it's not I don't find it that easy to talk about I think I've never really spoken much about myself and my emotions or how I feel and so I just sort of go retreat inside myself and then have just a constant dialogue in my mind around what's going on. And you can just go round and round and round and almost just spiral downwards. Um, and so I think unless you've properly experienced poor mental health, you don't necessarily understand. And so there's like, oh, well, there's talking therapies and just speak to someone. And it might be the case that you have to constantly remind someone, I'm here if you need me, if you need to speak to me, because just saying it once doesn't necessarily go in and I know that there's people there who I can talk to or there's probably organizations that I can speak to but it's really daunting that first initial step I guess it's a little bit like my husband always says how do you eat an elephant and it's bit by bit but when you look at the elephant you're almost like I'm intimidated by this I don't know where to start I know I need to take a small piece but actually I can't even get close to the elephant to figure out where that piece is going to be and so I think it is just constantly trying to make sure that people around you are supportive and I know it can be I think for me sometimes I think it's probably draining for people because if they constantly have to support me then they're giving energy and I'm taking their energy so I'm always aware that and I think I don't necessarily share with a lot of people anyway but I'm always aware of energy and the vibe and I don't want to sap people of their energy and I don't want to have them think that I'm constantly relying on them for being in a good space. So I think I just constantly toy with that battle of me being in a good place and me not, not dragging other people down. Right. 
Yes, there's a lot going on. You're a deep thinker, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's let's talk about some of the the lessons though that you're able to share because I think, as I've said, you're a qualified lawyer. You split yourself between England and New Zealand. You've reached the very top of your of your sport. So you've certainly learned a lot along the way. There's no question about that. And so, just why don't we start though with that hard work versus talent equation if it is an equation but just getting that in the right balance I think my parents had instilled in me hard work but because I think in academically I was I guess reasonably bright naturally and so I sort of coached it along in terms of I do the work and it would be relatively easy to me Um, and so I think it was only in my I guess towards of the end of academia that I started realizing actually I need to study and I hadn't necessarily learned the skills earlier because I could just do the maths or I could just write assignments and so that actually I think was detrimental because I think the skills you learn when you're younger help you in the rest of life um, and I think equally in sport I was tall athletic physically gifted and so I was really good compared to my peers and so I didn't necessarily put in the work with training. And so, again, it was only later in my um, sporting life that I realised, oh, my gosh, if I actually train, I can actually be decent. And so I think, again, I missed out on periods. And if I, if I could go back, that would be one thing that I would tell my younger self, that if you actually work hard and put in the work, you can reap rewards later on. Um, and so I know in my netball journey, there's been netballers who weren't the most gifted they weren't tall the tallest they had to struggle to get to where they were and they had to put in extra effort compared to other people and they still made it to international netball and performed well and that was because they put in the work and if they hadn't put in that work they wouldn't have made it because someone would have said you're not tall enough you're this and you're that and actually they just trained really hard and so if I had trained harder when I was younger I would have had those skills once I'd grown up and so I think it's just testament to tell youth and those um, young people that that it might appear that people just naturally have these amazing powers or instinctively know how to be a leader or run a company but actually you can equally just work hard and learn and develop and understand and get there as well. Absolutely. It's all a skill, isn't it? Well, being tall is a trait, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. What about some of the other key lessons? If you had to handpick just a, a couple, two or three that that you think are of value? Well, I think one of the lessons for me is time management. I used to always be late, but I think time management is key. And I think being able to study for a law degree at one stage when I was doing my degree, I lived in Birmingham, went to uni in Leicester, trained for netball in Loughborough, and I think played county in Derbyshire. And so I pretty much was, I feel like I lived in my car and was always tired, barely had time for study. And it was about what I prioritised when and sort of also, I guess not just time management, but focusing and being present in the moment. So I might have had an assignment that was due in a couple of days, but I knew I couldn't miss netball training. And so not just going to netball training and thinking, okay, what am I going to do for my assignment and this and that and the other, just try, going to netball training and sort of trying to switch off my mind to everything outside of being in that session and what I could learn and how I could develop. 
And then as soon as that session finishes, now I can open up and understand what things I need to do, what responsibilities I have to my family, how I'm going to get from A to B to the next thing. And so managing time was definitely something that I had to do. Otherwise, I wouldn't have coped with all the demands that I had on my time. Um, But then also that ability to focus. I could be physically present somewhere, but actually mentally be in a lot of other places. And so I think I learned the ability to make sure I was physically and mentally present when I needed to be. Great advice. Well, listen, I just want to say um, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing your story your wisdom your lessons uh for being open it's, it's just been a real pleasure so i i really appreciate your time and greenhouse sports are lucky to have you <laughs> thanks very much i'm lucky to have greenhouse as well a bit like mentoring so everyone thinks that the mentee is the person who benefits but actually as a mentor you get so much back as well so it's a, a give and take relationship what a beautiful way to finish Thank you for listening to this episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. I would be delighted to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your guest suggestions, your questions. Just get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. And if you could share this episode with someone you know or on social media, I would be very grateful as it does really help people to find this podcast. That's it for now. I will be back with a bite-sized episode this Friday and another full-length episode next week. Until then, goodbye. 